And welcome to Police Off the Cuff Real Crime Stories. I'm your host, Bill Cannon, a retired NYPD sergeant. And with me today, I have straight out of Brooklyn, retired NYPD detective Phil Grimaldi. How you doing today, Phil? Pretty good, Billy. How about you? You know, I'm good. And I'm sort of excited about doing this show because this show is very, really close to my heart, as is New York City. And I've just, we've both watched uh, the nearly eight years of the, Bla- of the de Blasio administration where he took New York City, that was the safest large city in the United States, and turned it into a, a bag of shit again. I'm going to put it that way. Uh, through his policies, through handcuffing the police, uh, through this whole thing that happened in Albany with bail reform, the whole policy of criminal justice advocates of decarceration. And the truth is, and now even the new, um, the new district attorney, Bragg, is a progressive who doesn't want to prosecute people. He doesn't want to put people in jail. This is how San Francisco and Los Angeles has fallen apart and become what they've become. And if we have people like this in power, it's going to be really scary. So what we're going to concentrate on today, uh, we obviously have a new mayor who's going to be taking over uh, in January. And one of the things he had promised, and he basically ran as the law enforcement candidate among nine other progressive, really scary Democrats. There were some scary people in that um, that collection of 10 people that were running on a Democratic ticket for mayor. And, you know, none of us were really huge Eric Adams fans. However, when the choices were presented to us, we're like, you got to go with him because the rest of them were talking about just like emptying prisons, emptying Rikers Island, just these crazy progressive ideas. I want to tell you one thing, and I get very emotional about this, is that they do not care about crime victims. They really don't. They're ready to just let people out of prison that don't belong out of prison. Look at the governor, Cuomo. He paroles cop killers all the time. Well, he's thank God he's not the governor anymore. But the person in there now, she has the same sort of philosophies. Let's empty the prisons. You know, Let's release cop killers. They've done enough time. And I'm really sick and tired of it. I just want to go with this. This was the cover of of the New York Post the other day, and I'm going to toss it to you after you take a look at this. And what that was, that was a sit-down that the new mayor had with uh, Hawk Newsom, who was a representative of Black Lives Matter. And uh, Eric Adams had promised in his campaigning for mayor to bring back anti-crime. And Many people, including the press, they don't know what anti-crime is. They go, it's a it's a, a program. It's not a program, all right? 
It's a unit. It's a unit that every single precinct in the city used to have. Every single precinct in the city had a plainclothes unit that worked anti-crime. Anti-crime goes back to the 1970s. They work much differently than uniformed patrol officers. They work, they're supposed to work through observation. They, they patrol in unmarked cars in plain clothes. Usually there's two or three cars out there. And they work in tandem with each other in very specific tactics they use to get guns and to get robberies. Now, this Hawk Newsom objected to the fact that he's going to go back to anti-crime. But the city is out of control with shootings. The shooting is that the murders are up nationally, nationally, 30%. Uh, that's FBI statistics. So let's not care, according to these a lot of these politicians, let's not care about crime victims. Let's just care about criminals. And my God, anti-crime, oh my God, we're going back to the bad old days, you know. Phil, comments. Oh, well, I just want to give a little background on my career in NYPD. I was an anti-crime in the early 80s, and then I followed right into the robbery unit. So I did a good amount of time in plain clothes. And like Billy laid out, anti-crime, what we did was we would secrete ourselves into the area, the high crime areas, look for specific uh, patterns uh, of robbery, burglary, people doing shootings, guns. And we would try to, uh, you know, get into the area and try and do observations. And maybe if it was a drug location where there was guys with guns, we would try to uh, do some surveillance to see if we saw people that looked like they were carrying a gun. Maybe they were paying a little extra attention to their waist. And then you continue to watch them. And now you see a bulge. Now, at that point, you could stop question and frisk. Now, I really want to stress that. Stop, question, and frisk. That has been lauded as some anti-Black uh, and Hispanic, anti, uh, you, you know, it, it's just a, a violation of civil rights. It's one of the greatest tools in policing. It brought down crime throughout the 80s, 90s, and into the 2000s. At one point, yes, under the um, the uh, Mike uh, Bloomberg administration, there was an abuse of it. They needed to tailor it down a little bit, fine tune it a little bit. But you see that bulge. Now you can stop that person. When you stop them, you can assess by questioning them. And if the level of suspicion goes up, you can now frisk them. And if that uh, thing in their, uh, their waistband turned out to be a bottle of liquor, which happened to me on occasion when I was a transit cop, I thought the guy had a gun, he had a bottle of liquor, a pint of uh, wine or whatever it was, and he had the bag twisted and it, it almost looked like the handle of a gun. I stopped him. I questioned him. When I reached in, I felt it. It was a, a, turned out to be a bottle of liquor, liquor. I did a quick 250 and the guy was on his way. Had that been a gun, I would have been taking, now at that time I was assigned to Coney Island in the trains. I was taking a gun off the streets that that gun could later be used against the minority community. So when you look at a guy like Hawk Newsom, that is 100% against the anti-crime plainclothes units. Uh, he was on Dan Bongino's show on Fox News last night. Dan took him to school. He, he, he went up one side and down the other. He actually walked out of the interview. This is a man that purports violence, rioting, burning of buildings. He supports it. He wouldn't denounce it. And uh, he's saying that it's going to happen again if anti-crime goes back. So far, like you said, Billy, uh, Eric Adams wasn't the first pick of most people. But, however, he was in law enforcement. He's thrown out some good signs. He's bringing back anti-crime. There may be even talk of stop questioning first being uh, re-implemented in, in that uh, aspect. And listen, the bottom line is this. 
When I was in anti-crime, and I'm sure, Billy, you can uh, probably say the same thing. When we were taking guns off the street or we were putting be people behind bars for robberies or burglaries, who were the victims of those crimes? It was the minority community. So these things were implemented. Listen, it works in every community, but in the high crime areas, minority communities specifically, we were taking guns off the street and we were saving lives. That's what it's really all about. And I think and I hope that Eric Adams recognizes that. I think he does. I'm just going to show a quick <laughs> video. And this is going to show uh, why anti-crime is so important and why cr the criminals are emboldened to carry guns because they're not getting stopped. And that's one of the things that anti-crime, uh, if you make it tougher for someone to carry a gun on their person, you're going to also save lives in 1040 at night and there was gun violence in all five boroughs one person a 15 year old was killed we'll say that again a 15 year old was killed in one of those shootings five people were hurt this exclusive video of that shootout in the bushwick section of brooklyn i went to see reporter nj burkett obtaining this video and he joins us live at the scene now nope. Right, Bill, Mayor de Blasio told me today that he can feel it in his bones. The city of New York is turning around. But try telling that to the people of Bushwick, Brooklyn, or the people in Queens, Manhattan, the Bronx, or Staten Island. Yes, there were shootings last night in all of those places. Five people shot here on this street corner alone. I wasn't here, so I'm glad I wasn't here. Neighbors know how lucky they were. It was just before 8 p.m. Two groups of young men are standing outside the neighborhood bodega. Suddenly, one of them opens fire, and it's pandemonium. Five will be hit with gunshots to the chest. And it's so amazing to me because you see this guy here. The shooting goes on. The guy in the was secreted in the corner. All of a sudden, he pulls out his gun too. Everybody's got a gun. They all have guns. It's it's like unbelievable. And because they're emboldened to carry them, because they're not getting stopped. And back in the arms and legs. Amazingly, no bystanders were wounded, but it was only one of several shootings last night. In just six hours, there were seven shootings with 13 victims. One of them, a 15-year-old in Harlem, was killed. A rising tide of gun violence that touched every borough last night. And it all comes as police have struggled for weeks to control violent assaults in the New York City transit system. Today, we asked Mayor de Blasio to explain what's happening and what he's doing about it. What do you say to people who believe that the crime genie is out of the bottle and you don't know how to stuff it back in? I understand the fear, I really do. And, and there's a persistent um, concern, which I've heard now for decades in this city, of are we gonna go back to the bad old days? And I really try my best to help people understand there are so many reasons why that is not gonna happen. The mayor believes that a return to normal economic activity will stem the tide, as well as a fully functioning court system. But so far, the surge in shootings this year is up to 573, leaving a trail of 652 victims, an increase of 78% over 2020. But the mayor believes his policing strategy will ultimately prevail and insists he's focused on the future. I'm convinced we're going to turn this city around and have recovery for all of us. I can feel it in my bones. Noted urban studies professor Mitchell Moss of NYU says the mayor is mistaken. Yeah, that's, the mayor is absolutely, absolutely got it reversed. Safety produces activity. Activity is not going to produce safety. 
we have to make the place so safe people want to come and visit and enjoy it. Well, Mayor de Blasio told me today he is convinced that the same policing strategies that drove crime down before the pandemic will work after the pandemic. He continues to insist it is only a matter of time. Not Unbelievable. What, what same police tactics? The ones that he got rid of? Getting rid of anti-crime? Uh, handcuffing the police? Not supporting the police? Are those the type of police activities you say are, is going to work? Because one of the things that you know we see during this, I'm horrified when I watch that that shooting there, because it seemed at least out of that crowd of maybe twelve or fifteen, at least there was at least six guns in that crowd, and as soon as the shooting started, all the guns came out, and I was like, whoa, they have no qualms about carrying and using a gun, and you know the the best thing is that you could see none of them know how to shoot. But that's not good either because that makes them hit innocent bystanders. They're all just waving the gun around like, you know, like they're watching New Jack City or something, you know. And uh, but but, you know, it's scary gun in the hands of a young thug like that. And the reason we have anti-crime is to get those guns off the street through legal stops. Stop question is and frisk, as you mentioned earlier. And, you know, look, Eric Adams is 100 percent right. He needs to bring back anti-crime. And you know something? If you're afraid that anti-crime officers are going to get in trouble, supervise them better. Have them better supervised. You know, I think when I was an anti-crime sergeant, I had one in six. So it was me and uh, and six cops. And I was very close. You know, I uh, I was with them all the time. Hi, Andy the Gabby Cabby. Hi, Bill and Phil. Hope you fellas a good thought. I'd come home and say quick hello to both of us. Gabby Cabby. It's 10 p.m. in England. Thank you so much, Andy. We really, we really appreciate your support. Uh, God bless. We, you know, from across we, the pond, Andy. From across Gabby the Cabby. pond, that's, that, that's for sure. Thank you so much. Yeah. So what I'm saying also is that, uh, you know, we, we need to support this mayor. If he's really um, sincere about driving crime back down. Because so many things also have contributed. And I know like de Blasio likes to blame COVID. COVID had almost nothing to do with this crime spike. It really had almost zero to do with it. What had to do with it was the, the laws coming down from Albany, the, the bail law, uh, this whole philosophy of closing Rikers Island, and this academic philosophy called decarceration. Even Vance, he, he was a, a sickening liberal, sickening, and I'll use that term. I, I took a lot of heat for using it the last time. But the things that they are trying – there is no evidence that they, that it works, releasing people from prison and having them, uh, it's called community corrections, have them supervised in their community so they can commit crimes while they're being supervised. And I don't, I don't mean to be sarcastic, but I, I really believe this. These people are believing and putting out untested, not tried, not true methods of criminal justice that do not work because they do not care about crime victims. Billy, I got to make three quick comments about that video. Number one, right off the bat, if you look at that video and you look at any Western from back in the day, you know, at high noon where everybody just pulls out guns and starts shooting and killing one another, that's what it looked like. I'm comparing it to the Wild West because that's what it looks like. Okay, that's number one. Number two, all of the people in that video, they're people of color. It, it, it's a minority community. So 
they're killing one another. We need to do something about that. Violence interrupters, this is point number three, violence interrupters and social workers are not going to be able to take those guns off the street. The very effective techniques of anti-crime, well-trained police officers with their sergeant, like you said, can possibly be in the area before something like that breaks off and maybe take some guns off the street. I mean, everybody's carrying a loaded firearm in New York City area, the youth of today. It's just ridiculous. And when you live in a high crime area, you're carrying a gun for protection. You know, some people might be innocent enough that they're just going back and forth to work, but they see all these shootings going on. So they say, well, the hell with it. I'll, I'll carry a gun too, you know? And, and then we have other things that I'd like to go into a little later. With regard to this you know, uh, they're not, not uh, summonsing or arresting anyone for jumping a turnstile. And I got a great point to make about well, that, that. That's we'll huge. That is that is so huge. I'm glad you hit upon that. That is yes. tremendously huge. Let's let everyone just jump the turnstile. And folks, no good. If, no good. if you don't no understand the law, if an officer observes someone jumping the turnstile, he has something called search incidental to lawful arrest. So when that person jumps... He can arrest that person. It used to be for a misdemeanor for theft of service. Now it's considered a civil matter. So they're not looking to arrest that person, or at least the cops would love to arrest them, but the politicians don't want that person arrested. So then you lose what's what search incidental to lawful arrest because now it's just a summons. One other thing, Billy, and this will go right to, right to the Central Park rape the other day. The video of that scumbag that raped that woman in Central Park, he's jumping the, he goes in through the exit gate, okay? He's entering the subway illegally. Now, he was wanted for a similar type crime in Florida. He fled Florida, he came to New York. Now, he was going around the city. He was allegedly homeless. How do you think he was getting around, Billy? He was going, using the subway system, and he wasn't being stopped. Now, not only is he open to a search incidental to arrest, but they do a warrant check on him. Now, the, the, this young lady that was raped, uh, her family should sue all five uh, district attorneys in, in the city of New York because they all refused to po uh, prosecute, turnstile jumping or enforce it. The police hands are tied. I mean, if this guy was in the city for any period of time and he went through that gate a number of times, he may have been stopped. They might have ran a warrant check on him, saw that he was wanted in Florida, and he wouldn't have been on the streets to rape this, this young lady. I mean, it's ridiculous. Seven o'clock in the morning, she's taking a jog in the park and she's attacked by that savage animal. It's disgusting. And it could have been prevented, Bill. It could have been prevented. 100% just in the fact that why was he released from a similar violent crime in Florida? That's one. Two, Absolutely. as you mentioned, jumping the turnstile, he's, he's doing it with impunity. And that's how transit cops recovered tons of guns back in the day. Yes, yes. The turnstile, if you're going to carry a gun, you think you're paying your fare? I don't think so. So that's how they, you know, and a free search incidental to lawful arrest. Boom. There's the gun. Oh, someone in the chat bite me says defund the police had the impact, didn't it? Or did New York not participate? New York. Absolutely. They defended funded the police by $1 billion. That's right. And that's, that's under this idiot mayor. And I, you know, I usually am respectful, but this mayor is a disaster if he runs for anything, it should be for like uh, dog for catcher, the, yeah, or a livery cab driver, president, or something. I don't know. This guy has no business in politics. He's a buffoon. You know, Billy. I want to stress what you said. I gotta say this again: one billion dollars, billion would it be? Not a million, a billion was taken out of the NYPD's budget after the Black Lives Matter uh, riots of last summer. 
by Bill de Blasio. So right there, that person's uh, comment, yes, it did impact NYPD by a billion dollar cutback that would affect overtime, patrols, a lot of different things. And then they have it between that and you have the uh, bail reform where people are being let out of jail with no bail for various crimes that normally would have been held on bail. And you have prosecutors in the five boroughs between marijuana offenses, drinking in public, urinating in public, defecating in public, jumping the turnstile. They refuse to enforce these laws and refuse to prosecute these cases. So what do you think is going to happen? It goes back to the broken windows policy. The crimes get worse and worse. You look at that video, all five or six of those individuals were strapped. They all had handguns on them. I mean, think about it. It's insane. So, so if I'm walking by, you know, uh, strolling along to go get a cup of coffee and you know, these bullets start flying, (laughs) you get hit. It's ridiculous. Phil, I want to play another video. And this was from the summer when shootings were just uh, running rampant, they were out of control. So let's watch this. Shot in 25 incidents. Eight of them were shot at a gathering in Bed-Stuy, Brooklyn. News 4's Mark Santia joining us live in Bed-Stuy with what the NYPD says it's doing to curb this crime, Mark. And Natalie, you take a look around, you can see this is still an active scene. You see there are dozens of evidence markers on the ground and there are dozens of victims in local hospitals. The aftermath of a bloody weekend across the city. Chaos at the Eleanor Roosevelt houses, women and men loaded onto stretchers as first responders try to help eight victims wounded in a barrage of bullets. Firecrackers or gunshot noise, and it just, then the helicopters came along. Daryl Walden saw the carnage outside his Brooklyn home, while this resident says he does not have all the answers to the surge in shootings. He does stress. We definitely don't need no defunding the police, that's for sure. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You know, I think it's, it's, it's getting out of hand. The key is more gun arrests. We're at the highest level of gun arrests in 25 years. More cooperation between NYPD and community to get the information that PD needs for those prosecutions. In case you hear anything, anything from last night, uh, we want people to feel safe and contact with them. Okay? As detectives search for clues, the NYPD's Community Affairs Rapid Response Team looks to build trust and calm fears after a weekend of violence and another mass shooting. But it's really important that we come out here and just calm people down after something like this tragic has happened in their neighborhood. Tackling the surging gun violence, Lieutenant Cherie Sanders says it's about police and community working together. We're here for them. We want their neighborhoods to be safe and just to, to help us help them. Back here at this scene, eight people were injured in the shooting. We're told all are expected to survive. Just got off the phone with police moments ago. They tell us the two gunmen, they're still on the loose. Police still searching for them at this hour. We're live in Bed-Stuy. I'm Mark Santia, News 4 New York. You know, Phil, I just wanted to say that, um, first of all, whenever I even see de Blasio, I get sick. I mean, he's, he's just lying. First of all, besides the fact that he's handcuffed the police, they've taken away gang databases, you know, when they they build these gang databases to track people who are in gangs. And that's a huge, huge investigative resource, as you know, from being in the squad. Um, they've handcuffed, uh, you can no longer keep a UF-250 database, which is a stop, question, and frisk database. That was taken away by, I think, um, Judge Scheinlin uh, took that away. That yes. They, so right. all of these tools that we used to use uh, you know, and one of the things that, that also that some of the folks listening, 
they can identify these guns. When guns are semi-automatics and most of the guns out in the street are being used are semi-automatics because they have bigger magazines and they can hold more rounds than just a six-shot or a five-shot revolver. The brass that is emitted from these guns, they can track that. They can say, and that's how they know that sometimes bad guy A from Brooklyn lends his gun to bad guy B who lives in Manhattan because they can track the brass. And that's a big problem too is these guns get handed off when someone has, hey, I got some work to do Saturday night. Can I borrow your heater? You know, can I borrow your pistol? And so investigatively, that's a huge resource because when we do make an arrest, we can sometimes put those shootings and track those shootings together. And many of these arrests are made by units like anti-crime. And I mean, I don't even know if I want to mention street crime, which was an amazing unit also, because Eric Adams already said he's not putting street crime back together. But it's important that we have, and I think it's also important that the press understands that anti-crime is not a program. Stop saying things that you don't know what you're talking about. Anti-crime is a unit. And every single precinct in the city had an anti-crime unit. So stop calling it a program. It's not a program. And you know something? They even say that a lot of these units that they that they think are anti-crime, they're not. They're just a plainclothes unit. For example, that slide you see on the street, that's the warrant squad. All right? They work very differently than anti-crime. Warrants goes out looking for wanted people. In the summertime, they made a textbook arrest. And this is them making this arrest, spotting a guy who was wanted. They grabbed him off the street. And de Blasio didn't like what he saw. The same moron that's saying, oh, we're going to drop. It was a textbook arrest. There was nothing wrong with what they did. He didn't like the way it looked. Then you go out there and lock these dangerous people up, Mr. Mayor. How you could say a textbook arrest, you didn't like the way it looked, then you're a moron. You're just a moron. You know, that specific uh, arrest by the warrant squad, I believe that was a high-profile warrant. I forget what the guy was wanted for, but it wasn't uh, shoplifting or something like that. It was a serious crime, and the mayor had a problem with it. Like you said, let him go out there and try to put handcuffs on a person that's wanted for a serious felony. Let him go through the struggles of trying to find that person, and you put a lot of investigative hours in it. Let him do all of that energy, expel all of that energy, and then you spot the guy and you have the opportunity to take him into custody and that's how it's done but you know he can uh monday morning quarterback it and critique it he's disgusting and i i'm just so happy that he's out and like you said billy we have to give this uh new mayor eric adams a shot at trying to clean up the city and turn things around i think if he gets the help of he'll get the help of the men and women of the nypd 100 percent I mean, they're, they're, if the mayor's behind them, they're behind the mayor. But he needs the prosecutors. He needs the communities to come together. And when there's something that happens that could be construed as questionable during police uh, shootings or, or tactics or whatever it is, there needs to be a call for calm and peace. Let the investigation roll. Let it figure out what transpired. You know, these things, uh, shootings happen in a matter of two or three seconds and they ponder them and they investigate them for days on end and weeks and months and whatever it is. That's okay. I got no problem with that, but we need to have calm. We can't shoot from the hip and listen to a guy like Hawk Newsom that if there's some kind of a questionable shooting, he's 
uh, taken to the streets, burning police cars and buildings is exactly what they did during this, the riots uh, a year ago, last summer, a little over a year ago, whatever it was. So we can't have people that are going to inflate tensions like that, man. We need people that are going to call for calm and let the investigation play out. And listen, if a police officer acts against the law, then he's going to have to deal with that. I'm sure the systems in place will deal with that. And you have to just put trust in the new mayor and trust in the police department. And I think we've had enough. Enough minorities and other people throughout the city are dying and being killed and raped. And it's time to take the city back. 100%. You know, folks, I just want to uh, uh, let you know that if you're a new, uh, new to police off the cuff, real crime stories, uh, and you're not a subscriber, go to our YouTube Hit that subscribe button, ring that bell, give us a thumbs up. Uh, if you like a real crime stories from a police perspective, I don't think you're going to get any more of a police perspective than Phil and I that uh, did. I did almost 27 years. Phil did 21, 22 years. We have similar backgrounds as far as investigative and anti-crime. I did six and a half years in anti-crime, including citywide anti-crime, street crime, which which I loved. I love, you know, Phil and I talked about it. We said if if we could have possibly afforded it, we would have worked for free because we that's how much we loved the job coming into work and working anti-crime. It's a great job. It's one of the best jobs in the police department. And when they disbanded it, I think it was last, just prior to last summer, it was a huge hit to everyone. Even people that were off the job were just hurt by the fact, you get what do you mean you're getting rid of anti-crime? And it was just a, a, a crazy, crazy thing. You know, I'm going to play another... Um, Video and this is from a. This is actually my old precinct, the two four precinct, where I was the anti crime sergeant, uh, and I just it'll speak for itself. And this is the kind of an arrest that anti crime could possibly make before the guns even came out. But I'm just gonna let you watch this and you judge what it. Tuesday, watch as the two take shots at each other while taking cover behind parked vehicles before both flee the scene. One got away in an electric scooter. My God. Jesus. This couple who lives in the area said they heard the moment shots rang out. I was in this building. I see about four or five police there, you know, but uh, over there, he got police too. This longtime resident said he's concerned for his safety. I can't, I'm, in, I'm in shock right now that that happened right here on my block. I mean, not until it hits home. So until it's in, on your block, in your neighborhood, you hear about it in the news and you think you're immune. It happened between busy Broadway and Amsterdam Avenue. The shooting happened by an outdoor dining setup in broad daylight. It happened here on West 103rd Street, just across the street from where two teenagers were shot just a few weeks ago. That's when a 17 and 18 year old were shot back on May 2nd. The two teens told police they were walking down Amsterdam by the Frederick Douglass houses when a white sedan pulled up alongside them. The suspect got out of the vehicle and began firing shots. One victim was shot in the stomach, the other in the shoulder. Now another shooting, rattling residents' nerves. Oh my God. Wow. So that's exactly the type of arrest that anti-crime can make by observation, maybe before the guns come out. And it's done all, it, it was done all the time when anti-crime existed, but taking away this unit, I would like to know if anyone knows that's uh, from the 2-4 precinct that's watching this, I'd like to know if these guys were ever arrested, you know, because they have a pretty um, good description. The one guy, what he was wearing, he takes off on a scooter. 
Uh, I think showing that video enough times, people from the neighborhood may have known who they were and maybe would have came forward. But those exactly are the kinds of arrests that anti-crime can make. And you could see, again, these two guys don't know how to shoot. They're waving the gun around, and that's how you shoot innocent bystanders. I mean, look, they're such terrible shooters. No one got hit, and then they just take off, you know? So that's what's going on in the streets, and that's why we need anti-crime back. Absolutely, Billy. And uh, just to give you a little bit of history of my anti-crime days, when uh, you know we would work under the direction of the commanding officer at the precinct, and if there was a pattern where there was uh, robberies going down or shootings or different things like that, that's the area we would concentrate our uh, surveillance in. So again, you're making a great point. If there was maybe you know who, who had informants on the street, or we would have uh, contact with the detectives and the detective squad, and they'd be giving us little bits of information on who did what and you know, who to look out for. And, and, you know, sometimes you just shake the tree a little bit. We would go out there. I can remember pulling up to a, a, a narcotics location and the guy's getting ready to run. And I said, listen, guy, don't run, don't run. Not even getting out of the car. Now he was obviously holding narcotics. I said, we're looking for a guy, gold jacket that I, the guy had done a pattern robbery, hitting people or clubbing people over the head with a pipe and, and robbing them. And one of them turned into a homicide. The guy said, okay, man, I just saw him. He left five minutes ago. He went that way. I said, what was it? You know, he gave me a better description. We drove a few blocks and we wound up arresting a guy on a robbery pattern as well as a homicide, all based on just community interaction. We secreted ourselves. When we rolled up on the guy, he was ready to run. He knew who we were. But I said, guy, guy, don't run. We're not even getting out of the car. He stopped. He listened to what I had to say. That guy doesn't even know it, but he was the reason that we made an arrest on a pattern robbery. The guy did like 20 robberies of senior citizens. One of them was killed. So th that's the, the effectiveness of the anti-crime unit. 100%. I want to show this video. And we had this guy on our show. And this happened over the summertime. And he was like a subway hero. He was great, and this guy. Story. He jumped in to help a woman who was being stabbed on a subway platform in Manhattan. This exclusive video of the attack. And any minute now, President Biden is expected to talk. catch the knife-wielding man. This time, a good Samaritan jumped into action and not only stopped the attack, but helped catch the knife-wielding man. That good Samaritan speaking exclusively to Iowa 4 NJ Burkett. He's live in Union Square for us. Newt. Right, Bill, random, senseless, and unprovoked. It's the kind of attack we've seen so many times here in New York City. The difference this time is we see it for ourselves because it's captured on surveillance video, along with an uncommon act of heroism that may have saved the victim's life. I knew somebody was in distress. I knew somebody was being attacked. Yeah, but you saw a knife. I saw a substantially sized knife, yes. And I heard a woman scream. And so that's enough for me. Sean Cottaboy says he acted on instinct. He was waiting for a train in the Union Square subway station last night when a woman was suddenly viciously attacked. This surveillance video was obtained exclusively by Eyewitness News tonight and shows the suspect walking toward the woman with a large knife in his right hand. She doesn't see him coming, and in an instant, he attacks her from behind, stabbing her in the back and chest. Sean doesn't hesitate and pounces on the man desperately trying to stop the attack. And I just jumped him. I just tackled him, jumped on his back, and that took us down to the platform surface. I'm trying desperately to keep him down, face down, because I know that if he gets up or if he can turn on me, 
and he has that knife, now I'm a potential victim. Bystanders will pile on, and in the struggle, the knife will slip onto the tracks. Responding officers arrive moments later and make the arrest. The victim would be rushed to Bellevue Hospital, expected to survive her injuries. And it could be someone else next. And if things continue on the way they are, it will be someone else next. It was the kind of random, senseless attack that has plagued the transit system in recent weeks, leaving a trail of victims and untold numbers of New Yorkers riding the trains in fear, or not at all. Despite the attacks, Mayor de Blasio continues to promise a safer system. We're going to turn this around. The most I, you know, just watching that guy it makes you nauseous. You know, nauseating. But, but you know, one that we had that gentleman on our show, uh, if you remember, in, in, in the summertime. Uh, Mr. Connaboy, the hero, the subway hero. And what I was baffled about, i that was one of the most courageous things I've ever seen. Not one person from the city administration contacted him. The mayor never contacted him. The police department never contacted It was as if it never happened. And I was like, back in the day, if you did something like that, you'd be on t- you'd be on every TV station. You'd be ho- you'd be getting the mayor's award for bravery. He told me he was never even contacted. What it's not in style to save someone's life, you know. And then, as you can see, Phil, what's been going on lately? Crazy people in the subway. It seems like weekly it happens. They're pushing people on the tracks because, again, De Blasio's wife ran the mentally ill program and went through a billion dollars, and it's worse than ever in New York City. I mean, when you talk about incompetence administration, him and his wife, she went through a billion dollars that was meant for a mental health program called Thrive New York City. Yeah, Thrive. The EDPs are thriving, throwing people on the subway tracks. It's really terrible, Billy. And I'm going to go back to the uh, the, the Jaga case just from Thursday in Central Park. Paulie Velez was homeless and marauding around in our city probably not paying his fare on the subway. And that's something that could have been prevented. Again, Paulie Velez, they call him, wanted for a rape in Florida. Had he been stopped in New York City and, the, and police officers would have done a warrant check, that uh, poor young lady would have never been raped. Uh, as far as de Blasio and his wife, we know that they're train wrecks. Could you imagine a billion dollars unaccounted for and nobody even cares? And then to talk about uh, Sean, uh, what was his name again? Connaboy? I mean, Connaboy, yeah. He was a hero, and he doesn't even get the key to the city or a thank you from uh, the mayor of New York City or the police commissioner or anybody. It's disgusting, man. We got we got no, to start. I have no I have no doubt if he didn't move in, that lady would have been stabbed to death. Oh, absolutely. You know? and, and I got to tell you, if you watch the video, that guy's rolling around with the knife. He almost cuts Sean. So, I mean, he really took a chance, but he saw an opportunity. He moved in. He prevented a tragedy from getting much worse. Like you said, she probably would have been killed. And uh, it, it's disgusting that he wasn't uh, applauded for what he did. And, you know, given the, the royal treatment, the key to the city, you know, something. He should have been given something. And uh, it took us to bring him on the show and recognize him. I think, you know, we did what we could do, but uh, it's terrible. I just hope and pray that somebody sees this today and says, hey, you know, let's make this guy man of the year or something to that effect. You know, he really, really stepped up. He saved that poor woman. And, uh, you know, I don't know if it was a targeted attack or if he was one of the homeless, emotionally disturbed persons. You use the word EDP, emotionally disturbed persons that are just all over the subway system. You cannot ride a subway system today and not encounter uh, a homeless, emotionally disturbed person, or just walk around Manhattan, Midtown Manhattan, anytime, day or night, you're going to see homeless, 
mentally ill people on the streets. It's just, it became a way of life and uh, it needs to be addressed because that's a large part of the, the plague of crime in the subway system, as well as on the streets are these homeless people that they, they need outreach, obviously. And, you know, there was a previous homeless outreach where they would basically force them into a, uh, you know, going into mental health into institution or putting them in a shelter. Now they everything is by volunteer. You know, you voluntarily can come with us and it, it goes nowhere. You know, it's like uh, Mike Geary is in the chat and Mike Geary is a retired uh, NYPD sergeant and he worked in the 4-4 precinct. He's an attorney. He's a criminal justice professor. And he's saying, you know, it's the 1970s all over again. It's going to yep. be good. You're right. You're going to get another Bernie Getz on the trains because the subways are particularly uh, dangerous. And, you know, one of the things that I, that's really and, – and folks listening to the show, if Phil and I sound passionate about this, it's because we are. You know, we are very passionate about with this. We were part of that whole group from 19 – the early 1980s into the 2000s that made New York City the safest uh, large city in the world. And we took great pride in that. We lowered – uh, the seven major crimes, 70%, 7-0. And I, I use this statistic numerous times. In 1990, there were over 2,200 murders in New York City. Now there's in three, 400 a year. So all those people now are not getting killed. 1,600, 1,700 less people a year are getting murdered if you compare it to 1990. But everyone's criticizing the police. Everyone wants to defund the police. Everyone wants to supervise the police. Everyone wants to take away police powers. They want to defund the police. I don't know where these ideas come from. This let, Let's pay gangbangers as violence interrupters. Who is the moron that came up with that? Is there any statistical analysis that shows that works? Or do you just feel good giving taxpayer money to gangbangers? I mean, I'm just like baffled that who, what mind came up with that idea? Same, same mind probably that wants to send social workers to violent family disputes or to EDP jobs. Same mind, because it's a progressive, moronic mind that comes up with it that has no street sense, has no street smarts, and there's no statistical analysis that says that works. I had a big argument with some PhD doctor idiot on LinkedIn in regards to she was uh, she was putting down broken windows. I said, putting down broken windows, it works. And One she was like, oh, right, and she was arguing with it. She goes, oh, what statistical analysis do you have? You know, I, and I don't know if that's how she talked. That's just my interpretation <laughs> of her. But <laughs> that's what you surmised in your head. I, right? That's what I surmised. She was so annoying to me. I, I made my most annoying voice. And I said, here's my statistical analysis. Crime has gone down 70% in New York City from broken windows policing. That's my analysis. Now, what kind of nonsense statistics are you going to throw back at me? You know, so. You, you know, Billy, uh, just a real quick story to show how innovative drug dealers, gangbangers are. When, uh, in the 80s, when I was in anti-crime in the 7-0 precinct, we knew specific areas. We knew who the drug dealers were. And there was this one uh, particular drug dealer. We could never catch him dirty with a gun or anything like that. Uh, now, once a month or whatever it is, once every five, six weeks, they have a community board meeting inside the precinct. So we happen to come into the precinct for something. We popped into the basement of the precinct for a community board meeting just to look in. And who's sitting there with a shirt that says, say no to uh, say no to drugs is this drug dealer. 
So we halted the meeting, we pulled him out and we threw him out of the building and says, you have no right to be in here. You know, you're, and, and he's like, no, no, I'm just, I'm trying to help the community. What he was doing, he was doing counter surveillance. He was trying to gain Intel to see who was complaining about what, and then maybe put pressure on them in the neighborhood. So these guys are not dumb. They're not stupid. Now, if you take away the techniques that we use and you take away the unit like anti-crime and you take away stop and frisk, it only makes them more powerful and more strong to continue their melee, their drug pushing, their uh, the gangs with the gun violence. So it's just a little piece of information, uh, something like that, that they can go walk into a precinct and be part of a community board meeting. They can scope out who's making the complaints because that's what happens at the community board's meetings. People stand up and say, you know, we're having a problem with prostitution here or we're having a problem with drugs there. And it, he was actually gaining intel to help his business, you know? So they're not, they're not stupid. They're not morons. They, they're drug dealers. They're in criminal activity and they do whatever they have to do to make their lives and their business thrive. Alicia B, uh, you warm my heart with that comment. Many of my friends have PhDs. They don't always live in the real world with the rest of us. Good. You are 100% correct. You know, these PhDs that live in the world of, of the safety of academia, same thing with a lot of uh, people, judges, and, they, they, you know, they're in the safety of their courtroom, uh, you know, and people want to judge every single action taken by a cop. Look, cops wear body-worn video. Everything they do is videoed. How, you think the medical profession could survive wearing body-worn video? Do you think that it would probably shut it down? They'd be getting sued uh, every single day, you know? What other profession could survive? Do you think lawyers could survive wearing body-worn video? I know Joe Murray's in the chat. He may not like this, but Joe yeah. Murray. You think you think lawyers, you think dentists, you think anyone else could survive their job wearing body one video. In fact, you know, Phil talking about Joe Murray, uh, I think you better read his commercial. Oh, Joe Murray. I was, uh, I had the pleasure of being on Joe's show real quick last night. And I see a comment from his uh, better half, Angie Eng. You should be lucky there isn't street crime unit around or you would have gotten pinched with your dine and dash last night. I actually stepped out of the restaurant before I paid the bill to, uh, to go on the show. But yeah, that was great last night. Good luck on the show, guys. Uh, have you found yourself in a jam? Are you in need of legal counsel in the New York area? Do you need a victim's advocate? Well, Joe Murray is your man. He's not only an experienced trial attorney, he's also a retired 15-year member of the NYPD. He literally knows both sides of the fence. His website is jmurray-law.com. That's jmurray-law.com. Or his telephone number is 646-838-1702. That's 646-838-1702. Or you can email Joe at joe at jmurray-law.com. That's joe at jmurray-law.com. And uh, Joe and Angie, we uh, give you all the support in the world for um, your new show. Uh, I, can, I always forget the name of it. Allegedly, Allegedly Guilty. Allegedly Guilty. Allegedly Guilty. Uh, starting, you know, you're going to find out. This um, podcasting world, it's 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 great, it's wonderful, but it's not easy to grow this work. channel. It's a lot of work and it's a lot of research, and but we love to do it. You know, we we love we we love doing what we do. But uh, welcome aboard. The uh, I'm sure we'll be all all of us guys will be friends and we'll be helping each other out. Cross pollination. Um, that's right, cross pollination. My favorite, Angie Ang, that she just said, Phil, you should be lucky. 
there isn't street crime unit around or you would have gotten pinched with your dine and dash yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. You know, here's, I want to play another quick video just to show you some of the things that uh, police encounter in this city. And this is, this is an arson, uh, like a live arson. And this is another type of crime that potentially anti-crime could have witnessed and put a stop to before, you know, People could have gotten killed in this incident. Let's play it here. A deli that was firebombed by a disgruntled customer over the weekend was back open for business today. The owner and his son managed to put out the flames and nearly escaped before the entire place burned. Oh, some intense video there. It was a good Samaritan, though, who stopped that suspect right there from throwing a second firebomb, who's now being hailed a hero this afternoon. Let's get out to news force Gabby Acevedo. Live for us at that deli in Bedside. Gabby, wow. A hero indeed, and I promise you we'll be looking for that man all through this day. They tell us he was here earlier during the day, but then went to work. But that Good Samaritan, as you guys mentioned, may have prevented a tragedy. Oscar Deli Grocery was open for business today. Neighbors and community members stopped by to show support for the family that runs the store. The inside of a Brooklyn deli on fire on Saturday morning. A bodega owner and his son running through flames in a fiery attack by an angry customer. You open the door, I tell my son he was over there, I tell him, watch. Surveillance video shows the man lighting up a Molotov cocktail, tossing the bottle inside the store at the corner of Nostran Avenue on Halsey Street in Bed-Stuy. Gamil Abdullah and his son Mohammed were inside, the firebomb hitting a fiberglass divider, spreading flames through the store. I see the fire come to me, I stop the fire here, my son he gone, I gone by him. Gamil describes what you see on video. His son, Mohammed, stumbles, trying to escape the fire. Gamil, behind the cashier's desk at the moment of the attack, jumps over the counter on his way out. They both watch on security cameras moments before, as police say 38-year-old Joel Mangal prepared for the attack. I, I see him in the back. I see him talk with the other customer, my friend, the guy who stopped the fire outside. Video from outside of the deli shows a bystander stop Mangle as he lights up a second device. The Good Samaritan knocks it out of his hand, exploding on the ground. Camille says the hero is a regular customer at the deli who possibly prevented a tragedy. It's mad he didn't stop the first one. You know, it's mad he didn't stop the first one. I'm hoping we can find that Good Samaritan. Uh, we would love to honor him uh, at Borough Hall. It was really courageous. Brooklyn Borough President Eric Adams stopped by the deli today, along with community members, to show support for the Yemeni family-owned business. Neighbors in Bed-Stuy are amazed at the courage shown by the Good Samaritan and want to congratulate him for his deed. That's the real hero, so we want to know who that person is. You know, we want to honor them and we want to give them an award for doing that. If that second one would have came in here, it could have been a whole different story. We wouldn't be standing here right now. Amazing, right? What what should happen to that guy that threw that Molotov cocktail? My thing, I think he should do life in prison. I really do. Hundred that percent. That, that, that's, that's not an attempted murder. I don't know what is. And, and depraved indifference attempted yes. murder, right? Yes. He's ready yes. to throw a second Molotov cocktail in because the first one didn't do enough damage. I guess you know. I mean, it's well, if you saw Billy, I mean to cut you off, but if you saw the first one. Uh, ignited most of the store and they were, they were jumping out. And I think one of them had a little bit of fire on him. If he would have gotten that second one off, I don't think it would have uh, turned out. So, uh, you know, the, where people wouldn't have been injured. I think those, those two people probably would have been burnt very severely or maybe even killed. So uh, that guy's a real hero. And, and 
right out of the words of what we were just saying on the last guy on on Sean Connaboy. The, the the Eric Adams was saying the borough president at the time he was saying that he wanted to honor him. I love it. I think he should. They I hope they found that guy and and listen. Even if he gets a proclamation, it's it's just something to recognize heroic uh, behavior and trying to stop these maniacs from you know wreaking havoc on the city. You know, it's important I think to to honor citizens that do get involved and to recognize them so that you know maybe more people. Not that you know. Being hailed a hero is, you know, you get your 10 minutes of fame or whatever they call that. But to encourage someone to help someone else, because, you know, that's who prevent a lot of crimes is civilians. They're out there, you know. And, you know, if people are afraid to get involved in certain things, of course, you shouldn't get involved. The dispute between two drug dealers, you know, that's the way they live their life. But something like this, an innocent bystander or the, the guy who jumped the knife wielding guy in a subway station. That's, you know, that's a good citizen that does that. And government should honor these people and, you know, let everyone know who they are. Look, this person did something fantastic, you know. Yeah, obviously you have to be careful in trying to get involved in some type of a violent incident. But, I mean, there's been numerous times in the past where you'll, you'll see, even on the subways, where an, old, uh, an elderly person is getting robbed and beaten. And people, instead of taking action to try and stop the person, they're just sitting there videotaping it with their phone. And, and instead of trying to get involved and look. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a judgment call. You got to really be careful. We don't want anybody to get involved in something and get hurt or killed. But, you know, if somebody's wielding a gun and firing shots, take cover. You know, I mean, uh, if you have the opportunity that you could get up behind a guy and, and, and like the Con Conroy did the, with, with the uh, with the gun, the knife wielding, uh, I'm sorry, not with the gun, the knife wielding maniac there, he had an opportunity. He took it. He looked like he's in good shape. I think he uh, was a martial artist. So something like that, okay. But, uh, you know, at, at least don't just stand there and videotape, do something. If it's, if it's a non, you know, uh, it, it could be a violent situation, but there's no weapons involved. Maybe you could, you know, try and, uh, stave off this person from, you know, attacking these elderly people, you know, Tim Acosta says with bail reform, that guy's out already. <laughs> I don't think he'll be out for, uh, for an awesome first degree. I but, would hope uh, not. I understand, um, your frustration, Tim. Uh, and I, I mean, we see people getting bailed that have no business getting out, period. I mean, the guy who raped the woman in Central Park, he was out from the, a similar case in Florida. How did he get out? Somebody's you know, got to explain that. Somebody's got to explain that. And, it's you know, Florida Florida's not a state that treats crime lightly. You know, it's, yeah. uh, it's a little bit different than here. So, you know, to, to sort of synopsize all, what we've been talking about, um, Mayor-elect Eric Adams wants to bring back anti-crime. Uh, we are all for it. He's met with opposition from Black Lives Matter. The guy, the gentleman's name is Hank Newsom, who appeared on Dan Bongino, and it was uh, it was it was a pretty ugly interview. And um, he was claiming that if they bring back anti-crime, they're going to burn down the city. There's going to be violence. There's going to be. I mean, first of all, that's why we have laws, and that's why we have police. If you do that or your followers do that, we'll lock them up too and put them in jail. You know, you're not going to shut the city down. You know, maybe this administration won't put up with what the last had been. The last administration was cheering you on. <laughs> this guy, de Blasio. Unbelievable. You know? yes. Yeah, un unbelievable. And I, when I saw the cops having to respond to those riots, which, which they were riots, I have some people that I know that call them peaceful demonstrations. I go, we were looking at the same thing. I didn't see it as 
peaceful demonstrations. I saw it as riots when, you know, they had hundreds, thousands of cops getting hurt and they were burning down buildings, they were looting. How do you call that peaceful? Is Where does that say, where in, in any vernacular does it say looting stores, burning buildings down, attacking cops? Where does it say that's peaceful demonstration? Like throw anybody that said that into a uniform let them stand they don't even have to be on the front line let them stand in a close close proximity of one of those alleged demonstrations what we call the riot and then you think they'll uh, have a second opinion about that bill i think they will i think they might call it what it is it was a disgusting riot it was the the, the whole uh, goal was to destroy property uh, burn police cars. I mean, it's just ridiculous. Anybody that could call something like that peaceful demonstration is not, uh, they're in lunar orbit. They're not in touch with reality. 100%. And one of the things that we we said then, the reason that um, comps that worked and uh, Rudy Giuliani, when he put um, uh, t- uh, John Timoney was in charge, he was the first deputy commissioner. Louis Anamon was chief of the department. Jack Maple was the deputy commissioner of crime control strategies. When that first started, it was like the perfect storm because everyone had had it with crime in New York City. And to 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 you to do a program like Broken Windows and to do that style, you have to also have the district attorney's office on board. And right now they are so far from being on board that it's this new district attorney that just got elected, he's anti-prosecution. He doesn't want to lock anybody up. Uh what's his name? A bland. Yeah, he was a U.S. Mel- attorney. Elvin or Melvin Bragg, I think it is. Bragg, that's right. Yeah. And he he was a U.S. attorney, and you know he prosecuted people uh, in that role. But now all of a sudden, he's taking this new progressive role of you know the kind of gentler. Let's give. Uh, let's buy criminals lunch. You know, it's like it's just a philosophy that I just do not understand. I don't think it's a philosophy that's good for the city. I don't think it's a philosophy that will work. I think that crime will continue to rise till good people have had it and uh, uh, maybe elect someone. And the, hopefully Adams is that guy. Uh, you know, hopefully he's the guy that's going to be true to his word, is going to be law and order, and he's going to back the cops. But he certainly doesn't have a history of that. Absolutely, Billy. But, you know, going back to the prosecutors like Manhattan DA, Cy Vance, and the new guy Bragg, and all the rest of them, uh, they were talking about they're not going to prosecute low-level marijuana crimes. And they said the philosophy or the reason that they said they were going to do it was is because these particular crimes were targeting the minority community. There were more minorities being arrested for uh, jumping the turnstile and not paying the fare in, in the uh, in the transit system or smoking marijuana in public. There was more of the minority group than there was of the white group. And the bottom line is this. If you take away these things, you're saying that it targets the minority group, but who does it affect by not enforcing it? Again, it, infor- it, it, it attacks these areas, these neighborhoods, these high crime areas, minority neighborhoods. That's the people who pay the price moreover than anyone else. So what you're doing is, is counterproductive. You're, you're saying, well, we're not going to arrest people for jumping the turnstile because the ones that are mostly targeted are minorities. But then if you have a guy who's jumping the turnstile and committing crimes, who's he going to be robbing? You know, and, and the cycle just gets worse and worse. I mean, you have to use common sense in this. And I hope and pray, and I'm going to support Eric Adams from now going forward that he's going to 
try to bring back anti-crime, which I hope he's going to be successful. Let's get the city back. Let's support him. Let's get behind him. He's the guy that's going to be in charge. We had this clown for the last eight years and everybody I think is in agreement. He was a clown and he still is a clown and he's never going to change being a clown. So uh, we have a new guy. Let's give him a shot until he shows us he's not behind the police department. Let's stay with him and support him. Kathy Bates, thank you so much for joining the Police Off the Cuff uh, YouTube family. We appreciate that. I see all you guys in the green font, all our members, Angie Ang, uh, Lieutenant Pete, Factual Breakdown, retired Sergeant Melinda. Thank you guys for your support, your continued support. And as you could see, Phil and I were a little bit a little bit wound up today because this is yeah. a, a, topic, a topic that is near and dear to our hearts, and we really hope that they can turn this city around and we're hopeful that they, they will. But I think, you know, the whole defund the police movement, it wasn't just a New York city movement. It's a national movement. The anti-police movement somehow became a national movement and, you know, it has to stop. It really, really has to stop because I, I think that most law abiding citizens support the police how a, min a minority, and I don't mean that racially, but how a minority of people were able to get so powerful and get this whole defund the police movement. And if you watch the New York City mayoral race, there were 10 candidates that um, that were running for the Democratic uh, ticket. Nine of them were scary. They were absolutely, you know, they, I think nine of them would defund the police people. I yeah. was just... I was horrified, just horrified at it. And Adams was the only person that said, no, support the police. And, you know, it's it's baffling to me. And I think that, you know, myself as a citizen, I want the police out there. When I drive on the Taconic Parkway and I see guys fly by me on a, on a crotch rocket doing 140 miles an hour, I want that person st stopped. You know what I mean? Or, or in one of those cars, you know, that, that's doing 120 miles an hour and just switching lanes back and forth. I want him pulled over. I want him arrested. Take his car from him. And imagine if there's, there's cities that are trying to stop cops from doing car stops. Can you imagine that? Can you just imagine that? Who is the? Who are these people that have come up with these stupid ideas? I mean, how are you going to stop them? How do you think criminals get back and forth to, to commit their crimes? Buy a car, you know, and if you can't stop them, how are you going to stop crime? It's it's unbelievable, you know. You, you know, Billy, the unfortunate part about that is, is that who's going to be the victim of that asshole on one of those motorcycles or the car zipping in and out? They're going to hit an innocent person, maybe a family, God forbid, and, and injure or kill them. So, and I got to say... I've noticed it recently when I'm in the in the car driving. If I'm on the highway, you're 100% right, Billy. You always have these morons zipping in and out. It seems like because enforcement has been lightened up because of all the anti-police rhetoric, that now there's a Wild West mentality even on the roads. Joe Murray, thank you for the 4.99 super chat. And this is like a free ad he's getting. <laughs> he's getting a 4.99 ad. Joe Murray was the law and order candidate for Queens County District Attorney in 2019. You should not be a DA if you don't prosecute and enforce our laws 100%. You know oh, something, Joe, you just reminded me, Joe, thumbs up. when we all became police officers, we raised our right hand and said we promised to enforce the Constitution of the United States 
and to enforce the laws of New York State. We all raised our hands. Don't politicians do that? Did they forget the oath that they took? Because they're not enforcing the laws, you know, and then, and therefore they're not supporting or enforcing the Constitution. So how are they going to sleep every night realizing that they're not carrying out their duties per their oath? 100%. 100%. I just love when Joe said that because we do take an oath, like you said, Billy, the first day when you get sworn in, you're, you're, you're swearing an oath to the Constitution, Constitution of the United States of America and to uphold laws and to protect life and property. And these are just simple things that they're just allowing, you know, the Wild West mentality to continue on and grow. And there you have the video that you showed earlier. The Five or six people just whipping out guns and shooting randomly at one another. And, and thank God they don't know how to shoot or there might have been more people dead. But again, that in, endangers the innocent bystanders that are in the area. So uh, I'm, I'm just I'm excited that Eric Adams came forward with this uh, policy. That he's going to bring back the anti-crime. Let's see uh, uh, if he can, you know, lead the police department uh, in the direction of taking back the city because we've lost the city. It's, it's just out of control. Uh, the good people of the city, there's way more of them than there are of those dirtbags that are whipping out guns. If we all get behind the police, we get behind the mayor. And if the prosecutors in the five boroughs, Joe Murray made a great point. If those prosecutors get on board and we start prosecuting the smaller things, we got to go back to the broken windows policy. The bigger things just won't happen. You know, Phil, I, 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 I mean, I'm hopeful because I'm an optimist, but I just don't like the philosophy that is inherent in the prosecutor's office, and that's the entire city, not just Manhattan. You know, Tom Cusinelli, thank you for the 499 super chat. You should be the DA if you've never tried a case. I'm retired from the job and an attorney who tried cases. God bless you, Tom. Thank you for your service. And we, you know, we have a lot of people in the. Uh, that follow us, you know, that are uh, really good people. And uh, Joe Murray's one of them. And we, when we look at what's happened to this city, even philosophically, we're baffled by it. We just can't understand. And you know what we call it? And we've been calling it for years. There has to be a Brian Watkins moment. And if anyone's been in this city, Brian Watkins was that young man from uh, Utah that uh, Joe Murray's key, he's putting he's putting up more ads, but uh, <laughs> thank you, Joe. Um, he was that young man from Utah who came here with his family and to watch the U.S. Open, and his his mother was attacked in the Times Square subway station by a group of robbers. He came to her aid and was stabbed to death. That was the incident that mobilized the entire city, and people said, "We've had enough. This is ridiculous." This family came to New York see the U.S. Open, the mother gets robbed and her, her son, who I think it was about 22 or 23 at the time, gets stabbed to death. And we call that the Brian Watkins moment. Joe Murray, thank you for the 1999 Super Chat. New York County law, it shall be the duty of every district attorney to conduct all prosecutions for crimes and offenses cognizable by the courts of the county for which he or she uh, shall have been elected or appointed. So, Joe, why are they taking office and refusing to prosecute cases. What is that all about? How did they just take an office that requires, and the, the district attorney who controls all the assistant district attorneys, his philosophy is going to go out to the rank and file and they're going to do what he wants them to do. 
and it's it's disgraceful. But you know they keep electing the same type of people, so that's why I don't live in New York City. You know what I mean? Hmm. And if and New York State, which I born and raised in New York State, I don't like the philosophy of Albany either. Albany with this bail reform, with this decarceration, Cuomo releasing cop killers. You know, I think I got to get off the air soon because I'm just ranting. But I, you know. Phil and I got a little jacked up before the show. Oh, yeah. You, you guys, I just think I want to thank you so much. This isn't really like a, a typical, um, you know, YouTube case that's going to get a huge audience. We felt like we had to talk about this because it, this is our city. This is our state. And, you know, we felt that we had to do a show on this. And I asked Phil about it. And he was all gung-ho for it. So, I want to thank all you guys for um, standing by with us and listening and contributing and talking in the chat. Uh, and I really, uh, you know, we're, as you can see, we're passionate about this. Phil, final words. Final words. I want everybody to stay safe today. And I am applauding Eric Adams as the new mayor that he's uh, coming about to reinstate uh, the anti-crime. I think that's going to have a great effect on gun crimes in the city. Uh, I think it's going to have a great effect on crime in general. We need them. Uh, we have people that are warriors that want to do the right thing and protect the city. Uh, we finally have uh, a mayor coming in that apparently has a little guillons that he's going to do it. He's going to bring it back. Let's uh, support him for now and uh, try and get the job done. And please, please, everybody stay safe. Support your local police. Let's get get out to the ballot boxes and, and vote. If you don't like what's going on in the community, vote them out. Vote them out. We, we, we got a guy that he was the best of the pack. Let's give him a shot. I think he's going in the right direction, and uh, let's hope for the best for New York City. You know, Phil, this was uh, Joe Murray when he was saying to the other DA candidate, what do you mean you're not going to prosecute? Yeah. <laughs> are you kidding? <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> what, are you, what are you talking about? Yeah. Have you seen me in the boxing ring? <laughs> <laughs> that's a true Joe Murray right there. Uh, that, that's a great photo. Anyway, folks, again, thank you so much for listening. Uh, it's come to the end. Uh, you know, we could stay on all night and keep talking, but uh, we really appreciate, appreciate you guys. And uh, we'll see you very soon. And stay safe, everyone. Have a stay good night. Stay safe, everyone. One episode, just